You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable podcast, your go-to podcast for Catholic ministry shop talk. Episode 13, Is Discipleship Just a Buzzword? We've mentioned discipleship in past episodes, but we've never fully explained what we mean when we use the term. We've also never made an argument for why your adult ministry can only succeed when a discipleship model is at its core. Stay tuned. Welcome to the podcast. It is Wednesday morning here in Philadelphia, as always, in our recording schedule. Actually, it's not. It's um, Wednesday afternoon. We got pushed back today. But hello, nonetheless. Welcome to the podcast. How are you guys doing today? Doing excellently, Alan. How about you, Tom? Doing awesome. It's great to be here with you guys, as usual. We just came back from Houston, Texas. We were down there over the weekend for uh, NCBC, which is the National Catholic Bible Conference, a conference that Ascension puts on uh, yearly. Typically, it's been up here in the uh, Philadelphia area, but this year we branched out to uh, Houston, Texas, and it was great. We had over 1,200 people attend, and uh, Jeff Cavins was there, Father Mike was there, we had awesome speakers, and the Cardinal was there, and it was wonderful. We had a good time. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, I mean, like you said, there were so many great speakers. Uh, Dr. John Bergsma, um, who was fantastic, and uh, Sarah Chris Meyer. And I, I thought the Cardinal just slayed. He, he led the whole thing off with an incredible homily that I think he just mm-hmm. slayed, which really set the tone for the entire thing. That's Cardinal Denoya from uh, Archdiocese Denardo. of Houston. Sorry, Denardo. What did I say? Denoya? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So we met a girl, met a lady named Jane Landon, if you're listening, um, Jane, we're chuffed that you're listening right now. She was from <laughs> Sydney, Australia. She traveled all the way from Sydney to Houston, her first time in the States to go to the conference. And we kind of adopted her for the weekend. She was wonderful. I mean, I really enjoyed um, her presence. It was just, it really kind of just was a fun uh, time with her. And listening to her make fun of Tom kind of made my weekend. So. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. amazing. Thanks for egging her on there, Alan. <laughs> Be sure to appreciate that. <laughs> no, we had a blast with her. You're right. It was fun. We just kind of yeah, bumped, bumped into her on the, on the shuttle ride from the, from the uh, hotel to the conference and ended up kind of adopting her into our little Ascension crew. So, yeah, good times, good times. So on Sunday, yeah. the three of us and um, Jeff Cavins, you guys have probably heard of him. We did a discipleship day, or I should say a day on discipleship. Typically at NCBC, they take one of the days, occasionally, I shouldn't say typically, occasionally at NCBC, they take one of the days and they'll have a leader day just for particular leaders. This day happened to be invitation only to a select group of of leaders. And then instead of uh, talking about leadership per se, we talked about uh, discipleship and how discipleship plays a role, or how discipleship is leadership in a sense, and focused on uh, how you do it, what it is, the purpose behind it, and that type of thing. Um, so I'd love to talk to you guys a little bit about that. Um, it was filmed. I'm not sure yet what they're going to do with that uh, footage yet, if it's going to be online, available, or where it's going to go, but it should be available at some point. But I wanted to um, just kind of talk to you guys about discipleship and and um, 
Yeah, what it is, why we do it, and that sort of thing. How's that sound? Sounds, sounds like great. it would be. Sounds like a good podcast episode. We should try that. It does sound like a good podcast episode. I know. We'll do one on discipleship. It's a great idea. <laughs> no, let's do discipleship. That's about, even better. How about we? No, com- that's next week. We'll do discipleship this week. Yeah. Why don't Why don't we compromise and do discipleship today? Okay. Okay. All right. Deal. So I, I shared a story over the weekend. I shared a story on Sunday um, about an experience I had in uh, Mexico while on mission trip. I was down there on mission and we were building a church for the community. And one of the challenges with of going on the mission trip was to assimilate into their culture and to do things the way that they do things in that community. And this was in the Yucatan Peninsula, a very poor uh, rural part of the country. And so we were building the church basically by hand. And so the ground happens to be made of a lot of rock. And so we had to take these giant poles and ram them into the ground in order to drill a small uh, hole or like a cylinder, I guess, about a foot deep and maybe an inch in diameter. And so we would would slam the pole in there, took hours to get it just to get that one foot uh, hole dug so we could stick a piece of dynamite into the rock and then they would light the dynamite and blow it up. It would blow up the rock around it and we'd go in by hand, pick up the rocks and move them over to another part of the, the area. And then... Do the same thing. Take the pole, slam it in the ground, dig a hole, put the dynamite in there. And uh, I have never been around dynamite. I guess I was very sheltered as a kid. I'm sure you guys grew up with, you know, dynamite all over the place. Um, I had a a hairspray and a lighter. That was about as close to any kind of pyromania I had growing up. So, yeah, we we use dynamite every year for our confirmation retreat. I don't, (laughs) I don't, I don't think that the insurance company likes that much, but. It was exp- I bet it was explosive, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, one day, we um, were going through the checklist for lighting the dynamite, which consisted of, one, lighting dynamite, two, yell a bomba, and then three, move a safe distance from the dynamite. Unlike in the States, where we have like OSHA requirements and steel-toed shoes and helmets, that was pretty much the extent of their of their regulations. Now, not growing up around dynamite, for me, a safe distance from dynamite is to run in the opposite direction of the dynamite as soon as I hear the word La Bamba. And if the dynamite explodes and I'm still alive, that is a safe distance from the dynamite. Um, there were no like yellow tape, nothing drawn in the sand. It was just kind of, you know, test and uh, trial and error, if you will. So as time went on, you, you discover how close you can get to the dynamite without actually injuring yourself. And, and it was pretty awesome, really, to watch it um, you know, explode and the ground would shake. And it was pretty cool. So we would take tires and tie them with rope. And I'm gesturing with my arms, and no one can see this right now. So we tied rope around these tires, and we place it over the dynamite to contain you know, the blast. And so pieces of rock um, wouldn't go flying up into the air. Well, one day, I guess we didn't do a very good job of tying the dynamite, I mean, tying the rock. No, tying, I guess one day we didn't do a very good job of tying the rope around the tires. And so a piece of rock flew up out of the hole and went down the street and disappeared over the houses. We kind of, we couldn't see it. So we went looking for it, for this errant piece of rock. Um, It was pretty good sized rock that went flying down the street. So we found it because it was a hole in the side of somebody's wall of their home. Now this is a thatched roof house with a dirt floor, very impoverished area. So went right through the wall and wrecked one of this metal chairs that this lady had in her house. So we go in apologetically and discovered that the lady who owns the house happened to be somebody we were had seen daily 
at mass. She would um, crawl down the street to have mass with us every morning on the site where we were building the church. I say crawl because she had to crawl, she couldn't walk. So we thought how great it would be to, as we go to town to get a new chair for her and to get something to repair her wall, we'll get her a wheelchair. And so she won't have to you know, crawl on her hands and knees back to mass every day. So a couple of days go by, we made it to town, we got our stuff and we're coming back and we're all feeling pretty good. I mean, I'm, I especially am feeling like I'm going to be, you know, like her hero, just like Superman today, I'm gonna bring in this wheelchair and she's going to just think we're the best things in sliced bread. So we go into her home and we, we say hello and we show her the wheelchair and she looks at me and she says, do not deny me the privilege of crawling on my hands and knees to receive my savior in the Eucharist. And I think my jaw like went through the the dirt floor. I mean, I was just dumbfounded. She really, I would have rather her like punched me in the mouth than say that to her. It rocked my world like that powerfully. And I started to think, it just kind of made me ask myself, like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this today? Like, why am I here in Mexico? Why am I on a mission trip? Why am I with, you know, bringing people with me and leading this trip? Like, why do I even want to do this? And um, so I started going through these reasons. Like, am I, do I, am I just a, a coordinator, a social coordinator for these people? Am I just creating cool events and, and neat experiences? And do I like the recognition of taking people on mission trip and being the guy that exposed them to this? And, and, and really, that was the part of me I thought, wow, there's a real big part of me that really does enjoy the recognition I get from this. And that was like a real humbling kind of a moment for me. And so going back home like the rest of the week and then going back home, I really thought about um, what she said and, and, and why I did what I did or do. And so I got home and I said, okay, if, <clears throat> if what we're doing isn't, doesn't have a goal and a mission of creating disciples, then I don't want to do it. You know, I don't want to do it. So if it's just a neat event or if it's just a, a social event or something that has no, that's not going to help us achieve that end goal and that mission, then I don't want to do it anymore. And, um, and it really changed my whole approach to ministry. But long story short, as I went from, I mean, I guess I had a vision, I had a goal for what I was doing, but that wasn't it. And when I changed to that being my mission, to what I was trying to achieve, my whole youth ministry began um, to change. And the whole culture of the youth group um, began to change. And um, all because of, all because of that, because of uh, wanting to disciple others and teach others to be disciples and teach others to disciple others. So, um, yeah, so my question to you guys, um, Colin, to you, I'll ask you, like, what is, what's a buzzword, right? We hear that buzzword in, in the Catholic culture quite a bit in this discipleship. You know, is it just a, is that a something Catholics do or is that just a Protestant thing? Is it just like, is it a Jedi mind trick? Like, what is discipleship? It's an excellent question. Because it really is one of the buzzwords, and I think especially for our listeners, um, many of us are likely to be hearing that word in diocesan meetings and staff meetings at our parishes and schools. So I think it's good to go back and look at what a disciple actually is. Um, I'll preface my comments by saying this, that Alan told me that story on Holy Thursday. I had uh, the stomach flu. I was coming to my senses half lucid in my bed, but feeling pretty sorry for myself. Um, 
I had maybe the the quintessential. It wasn't, you know, there's a man cold and then there's a man flu where <laughs> um, <laughs> I was maybe overreacting a little bit. And the very next day, we have a tradition in New Orleans of taking a nine church walk, of of walking a, a pretty long pilgrimage. Our our nine church walk this year ended up being about nine miles. And the entire time, Good Friday, um, kind of just recovering from the stomach flu and feeling very tempted to complain, I thought of uh, I thought of Alan's story, and I thought of that that lady who mm. had really lived her life in a pretty radically opposite way than we tend to live our lives. Um, Almost an overused paraphrase from Pope Benedict is this idea that the world offers you comfort, but you weren't made for comfort. You were made for greatness. And a disciple is one who discovers the real greatness that we are, are called to by living in participation in the life of Jesus Christ. A disciple is one who comes to know the the true master, Jesus Christ, and who not only admires him or says, Jesus is sort of all right with me or something vague like that. A disciple comes to live the life of Jesus Christ in this earth. And that's how Christianity is still around 2000 years plus, because there have been countless disciples of Jesus Christ who, who bring him into the world. So there's, there's something even mystical to discipleship that um, we go back to to Paul in the very first century. Paul spent a, a good uh, amount of his time persecuting Christians. Um, they threw their cloaks down at the feet of Saul at the martyrdom of Stephen. And when Saul encountered Christ, the only thing audibly we know that Christ ever said to him in his life was, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And the insight happens, who am I persecuting? I'm persecuting these Christians. I've never even met this guy who knocked me off my horse, if there happened to be a horse there. He persecuted Christians, and in doing so, he persecuted Christ. And Saul came to develop, or Paul, came to develop the theology that really imbues all of his epistles, that there is this mystical body of Christ present in the church in the disciples of Jesus Christ. And um, so a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who makes Christ present in the world, one who follows the master, one who does the basic Christianity 101 thing, which is so easy to say and hard to do, who denies themselves daily, takes up their cross and follows Jesus Christ. So this buzz about discipleship um, is very important in an age where we, we tend to be fans, that we get very excited about celebrities. And we even can find that in the church sometimes that Somebody gives a great talk, and all of a sudden we we want to we want to get an autograph, and we want to take a selfie. Um, Pope Francis probably experiences that. I've I've seen some good selfies with Pope Francis, and that's that's fine. But being a fan is not the same as being a disciple. A disciple is one who actually enters into and imitates and participates in the life of the Master, um, and that that I think is just so important. So in our parishes. When we're doing ministry, when we're leading Bible studies, when we're um, doing whatever it is that we're doing in our parish, we have to remember that our goal isn't just to get people fired up. It's not just to get people excited about life in the parish or to get them to go to the fish fry or to get them to put extra money in the collection plate. The goal is to invite people into participation in the life of Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? By actually being disciples. We ourselves have to follow the master in the way we live our lives. 
So, so that's in a nutshell, um, what I would say, discipleship, discipleship, which is a whole other thing. That's <laughs> going to be my shop. next disciple shop. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, a store I'm going to open up. We're going to sell, um, Christian t-shirts and such. <laughs> no, but, but discipleship is participating in and following in the life of the master who is Jesus Christ. And, uh, and of course, part of it too, is that we, we see in the history of Christianity, like those that, that followed, say, St. Francis of Assisi around in the 13th century. Well, they were disciples of, of Francis in a certain sense. They, uh, they, they did the kind of crazy thing. And, um, when, were, were bold enough to to go out and to renounce all their possessions and live a mendicant life. But ultimately, a, a disciple of St. Francis, a true disciple of St. Francis, is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, and that would be true, we could say that, of you know somebody who met Ignatius Loyola and followed him around. Or even in, in our own day and age, you can probably think of those who are authentic disciples in your life. And when you started to live like they did, you didn't just live like they did, you lived the life of Jesus Christ. And that's that's part of the the miracle of how this whole this whole faith thing is is handed on through the ages. Yeah, I think I think that's important because I think people get turned off sometimes by the, the um, with good intention they get turned off at the, the the term discipleship because they don't want to quote disciple others because they think they're trying to get somebody to um, you know worship them. But it's not about that. It's about if you're conforming your life to Christ, you're going to disciple others. Means you're going to teach them and help them conform their lives. To Christ also, and all those things you listed in the parish, those are all good things, right? Like we don't we want to have fish fries, we want to have fun events, we want people enjoying themselves at mass. But if you if you if that's your goal as opposed to discipleship, it's just going to end there. But if your goal is discipleship, you're going to achieve those things because that's exactly. what disciples do. Love love of Christ just overflows out of disciples, and those things happen as a byproduct almost. You'll have better fish fries, and we we have some pretty good authority right in the Gospels that Jesus could do a heck of a fish fry, <laughs> even in his resurrected form. But but seriously, I, I would I would say I was I was in a, a parish staff meeting just just yesterday, and one of the things that I was I was hearing around the table, all the lights were going on about about events that we do that are that are simple things like a fish fry or a family day. But in a culture of discipleship, of course, we still do all those things, but they take on a whole different meaning. They mm-hmm. become vehicles of accompaniment, ways of inviting people into into life. It's um, I think I've heard Tom say this a bunch of times. It's it's doing life together, and when we are real disciples, we we do life together in in imitation and participation of the life of Jesus, mm-hmm. and that's just rocking stuff. Yeah, so so good, such good stuff, Colin. We're going to take a break real quick and come back, and we're going to ask Tom um, how that looks, how you do life uh, with people, but on the adult level, like it's one thing to do it with teens. I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are dealing with um, adults, and so we want to talk about how that uh, translates into uh, adult ministry. So stay with us. Hey guys, this is Shayna from Ascension. I don't know if you've heard, but with Ascension's new digital delivery platform, you can start a study with anyone, anywhere. Here's how to do it. First, go to ascensionpress.com and create a free online account. Once you're there, preview any of our study programs for free and choose the one you'd like to lead. Then, find at least three friends, family members, or coworkers who want to do the study with you. Once you have your group, make sure everyone registers to receive their study materials. Then, you're ready to go. Meet with your group in person, online, or both. It's that simple. Welcome back. 
We're talking about discipleship today on the podcast, and Tom is going to talk about what it means to disciple others in the sense of walking together and doing life together. Tom McCabe, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. I like the way you say that, Tom McCabe. (laughs) So the question is, you know, how does discipling look like, discipleship look like with adults, right? So, um, you know, on that note, I mean, really, it certainly it's going to look a little different, Alan, because uh, they're they're in a different state in life, right? I mean, they're let's face it, their interests are different than uh, and there's, uh, than young people, uh, when we have to remember that because they're dealing with things like uh, marriage, uh, or if they're young adults, you know, uh, serious dating could be careers. A lot of them may be dealing with addictions, uh, a whole variety of things that maybe young people. Uh, our teens may not be dealing with at least at the same level, right? So uh, I think we just need to make sure that we understand the state in life. But I think here's the secret: the secret sauce of discipling with adults is basically it's it's not rocket science. It doesn't really look that much different than it does with teens, so long as you know who the person is in front of you. Uh, to coin a famous line, I, I think it was me who said it. Something along the lines of you, you know, a, a shepherd needs to smell like a sheep, right? Well, we've said this before several times, right? Pope Francis has reminded all of us about this, that the real art and science of discipling adults is, I would contend, beginning with the human person, with where they are, and moving them to the person of Jesus Christ. That is, that's the, that's the magic, if, if you want to even call it that. Ultimately, it's, it's, it's meeting them where they are, whether it's a teen, whether it's an adult, uh, wherever it is. In my work uh, in church ministry, I mean, I've done marriage preparation ministry, I've done RCIA, I've done working with a healing ministry, whether it's outreach, uh, RCIA, campus ministry with you know college students. Really, the same method applies, right? That uh, you find out where they are, what their interests are, what their what questions they have. And you lead them to the person of Jesus Christ. The danger is, is us going in with our agenda ahead of time, and we think we're going to start at point A. Okay, we, let's let's just begin sharing the gospel with them, and this is the way we're going to do it. I would I would contend, Alan, that you're always sharing the gospel, right? But the way in which you do it is going to look very different with every audience that comes to you. I'd say there there are there are common themes that people come to us with. It's, you know, if you look at philosophy, philosophy is basically asking questions of origin and and means, right? In other words, where did I come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? You know, what is the meaning of my life, of my struggles? I, I spent three hours last night, if not four, talking to one of my sons about the meaning of suffering, and he was really struggling with this and, and was struggling with the idea of free will as being a gift, and I realize this is a moment, right, with him of evangelization right now, understanding, truly taking the time to understand the depth of his of his concern, the depth of his struggles, um, the the moral dilemma, not even the moral dilemma, just the, the intellectual dilemma that he, he is in, and then from there, walking him to Jesus Christ and how he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? So it's really... That that's what we need to do with adults, understanding where they are, and it's meeting them where they are. It says what Colin said, it's doing life with them. Ultimately, that is discipleship, right? 
doing life with the person, even if, if you've just met them on the bus, and this is the first time you've met them and you're beginning to disciple them, you need to work with them, you know, and, and just talk talk through what, what's going on in their life. Okay, so, so Tom, um, doing life with people, that's uh, essential. I mean, that, like you said, that is what discipleship is. How does somebody who, let's say they're leading an RCIA class, how does somebody decide, you know, I don't have the time to disciple 100 people. I can't disciple 10 people right now and then take on 10 more people next year and then 10 more people the next year and I just don't have enough for me to go around like how do you how do you tackle that um, that concern that challenge uh, good question Alan which I know uh, the three of us have talked about you know uh, before in depth uh, it really comes down to the concept of spiritual multiplication right which I know you've given talks on Alan but it's basically uh, we multiply ourselves. Uh, you look at the biblical model that Christ had, let's say, 72 disciples, but of that 12 apostles and of those 12 apostles, he had three that he was very close to, right? He brought them in and he realized he entrusted the 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 message, the gospel to them. And the idea was that they would go and spread it. If I can only reach 10 people myself adequately with a real personal relationship, I am limited. But if I, let's say I mentor three people, only three people, and I'm discipling them. But those three people each mentor three people. And then those three people mentor three people. We're going to reach a lot more people. So I, there is a danger of feeling like uh, we have to do it. We have the God complex, the Savior mm-hmm. complex. We need to save everybody. And I think that's a danger for all of us. And I know I fall into that regularly. And I think it's partly for me, it's rooted in pride. Like, oh, it's all about me. And instead of realizing, no, no, no. Uh, Christ is the real Savior. He's the one that does the work. I just need to do my part and entrust it to him. But the idea is we're not required to do it all. We're we're required to to sow the few seeds that we can, but encouraging those that we we disciple to go out and disciple others. Yeah, and that makes me think of a point I forgot to bring up last weekend, which is this idea that when we're thinking about doing this in the parish— you know, a lot of times we think, oh, that's the job of the pastor, or that's the job of the DRE, or the job of the youth minister. The, but the reality is the pastors, the pastoral staff are just not in a position where they can do that. But a lot of the lady are. It comes down to, um, Dr. Bergsman said in his opening uh, keynote talk this past weekend, he said, uh, it comes down to four words, be one, make some. And when at the end of the day, that's what it is. That's what it's all about. If you can just make another one of, if you're trying to to follow Christ and you start to, to multiply yourself and that person does the same, then it's going to begin to grow over time. It's just going to take time. There's no, you know, magic bullet, quick fix. So. Yeah. I mean, I think we even see that if we go back to look at particularly um, great epics in the church's history, where you see some great saints pop up, you see a bunch of great saints pop up that, mm-hmm. that, that mentoring happens, that they're, there are generations of of saints who form saints. Um, they because they walk together, and and that that's a very real. Um, I like that the question that you ask, Alan, because that that's a really real concern that we tend to feel overextended. So mm-hmm. this sounds like a lot of work, and and sure it is. You know, it's not like sit in your easy boy and follow me. <laughs> um, it's it's definitely a take up your cross thing to make disciples, but it's not mentoring a hundred people at a time. 
It's focusing on a few and remembering that as you're focusing on those few, um, you want to teach them not just to receive, but to give. You want to make sure you teach them to receive, but you want to make sure that you teach them how to go and make other disciples too. Mm -hmm. It it goes back to your point, um, Colin, that you've talked about in the past regarding being reservoirs, right? That uh, if we're always constantly thinking of just being a channel of God's love and pouring it out and pouring it out, but not allowing ourselves to be a reservoir. And when we're a reservoir, you're right. That means that you, you can't reach as many people because you are taking the time to bathe in the Lord first and foremost, so he can fill you up and how critical that is. But I, I know this guy who would do incredible ministry all day. And then at the end of the day, he'd go to a deserted place and he'd talk to his father every time. And, cool. and he was pretty good at making disciples. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I got to meet this guy. <laughs> I know somebody can introduce you. <laughs> Great. All right, guys. I think that's going to do it for us. Any other closing comments before we uh, before we close the show? Just that it was uh, it was great spending the weekend with you, gentlemen. It was uh, uh, I've learned a lot about discipleship by uh, by being disciple or trying to be a disciple along you two, who clearly are. So uh, that was a, a great opportunity. Yeah, I concur. That was. Um, I mean, I just love having you guys in my life, and it's one thing to talk over the phone and over Google Hangouts, another thing to you know, wake up and, and spend the day with you guys and, and just kind of do, like you said, do life together. Um, it was good. It was really good for me to, to be with you two as well. Looking forward to the next time you guys come to Philadelphia. I too concur. It was great that you guys were able to follow in my tutelage <laughs> this weekend and, uh, you know, follow, follow in my footsteps. And so it was, uh, it will, you know, no, again, it's always a blast. You know, we all have such fun together. So Thanks be Jesus Christ that he gave us that opportunity. Yeah, word. Just said word. Sorry, it was my back to the 1980s there for a second. <laughs> that was, that was word. Great. Word. Bear boom. <laughs> Bear boom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, on that note, that's going to do it for us. If you want to leave us a comment, please do show in the show notes. You can reach us at ascensionpresents.com slash podcasts, or you can email us directly at ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com have a good week know that we're praying for you and uh be one make some peace